One of my specialties is going upstairs to get something and then just ending up in a room and being like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Welcome everybody to episode 225 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm just happy to be here. I'm Sam and I'm the artist with no voice. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. And today is Slap Tumblr Funky Plate. Mm. 2019, and we're coming at you live from Shenanicon 2019. Okay. As you can Love hear, it. there are thousands, Just tr- a tr- <laughs> thousands of people <laughs> in this room. All right, and we also have a warning. Uh, there's going to be profanity in this show, so, you know, just deal with that uh, however you got to. And this is a bit of a special episode because we are here at Shenanicon, and we don't want to waste your time with nonsense like stories from our lives or talking about the games industry. We just want to hear from you guys. Uh, so we're just going to jump right into questions. Let's do it. I think and specifically questions from people at Shenanicon. That's right. Uh, so the first question comes from Isaac Bear, also known as so, Angry Muffin. Also known as Angry there's a There's a microphone kind of Microphone's over there. Right. Yeah, just, it's in the darkness. Show so you can just done. stumble your way to it and you're yeah. good. <laughs> 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. I think Seth can speak to the latter part of that. Quickly. Yeah. So it was, it was actually pretty easy to get it playable. Uh, my concern was that, that uh, there were a few like weird settings I had to tweak. And, and uh, the big thing was that during the, the capture game in Scuffle Buddies, where you capture a, a new buddy to add to your battle kit, um, we just had some placeholder Pokemon music in there, and I had to get that out before we showed that. Um, but that was pretty much it. It was we left it in a decent state, I think. Yeah, my so, major concern was I was like, we we quit working on this for a reason, and so I was like, <laughs> okay, are we gonna boot this up and be like, that was that was is not showable, you know, this is not a good idea. Um, but actually, it was so surprising coming back to it because we couldn't remember how everything worked. And so we were like, what's the, it was actually like playing it for the first time, right? As, as if we were players. And so we're like, oh my God, what's that buddy called? I, like, I don't remember making them. So I'm like, okay, what was that one called? Uh, and then we, we, we'd go read the little tooltip about it and then go find recipes out in the world as if we were playing it for the first time. Uh, and so it actually got all of us really excited about making another open world game, to be honest, because it was so fun to hop back into and get that feeling of like an expanse that you know nothing about. Uh, that yeah, after after work on Levelhead, which is a you know a platformer, we're like okay, this is exciting. I know what we want to do next. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was really what settled in our minds the idea of actually deciding to do Crashlands two because we'd kicked around the idea maybe next thing would be Crashlands two. Who knows? But it seemed like so big and so I don't know. It just seemed like something we didn't fun. necessarily want to do. Yeah. But then uh, having played Scuffle Buddies and and seeing what it could look like again uh, got. Yeah, we're just very excited. I think the best part was there's a thing you can do in Scuffle Boys. We didn't show this during the, the presentation, but you guys can do it on the demo. Uh, there's a thing you can do where there's these weird uh, plants in the world. They're, well, I think we just called them popcorn. Yeah. But they're just like a weird tall plant thing. And you can uh, use your whack jangler to get popcornals off of them. And if you bring a popcornal to the town bonfire, you can pop it. And then that goes in your inventory. And then that's another one of those like, what is this? Four. And, and I think 
you can get some kind of liquid and mix it with a popcorn or pop. You can make a tortilla. To make a tortilla. And I don't know if we ever did anything with that tortilla, but it's, it's in there. Uh, so, <laughs> do it. so yeah, we had a lot of like uh, weird discoveries and things that you can just kind of find and, and figure out. Um, so yeah, it was really exciting to kind of do. Our next question comes from C price. Uh, and also we can, uh, we can ask the or read the questions ourselves. So you don't have to come up to Mike if you don't want to. So, all right. Uh, C price asks if you could have one level head power up in real life, which would it be? Mm. It depends on the context, right? It does. That's why you need all of them. Being yeah. able to, I mean, being able to punch something real hard, I don't really know when that's useful. <laughs> it's it's going to be expensive. I feel it's like gonna you're going to rack up a lot of insurance. Actually, bills. that's true because you can't even use it to move furniture or anything. Nah. It's, it's, yeah. it's gone now. It's yeah. just gone. Uh, I think probably the best one to get out of social situations would be the rebound. You know, if a... If a face come, just comes out of your head and, and you, you, flying back you also just fly away, um, I feel like that's a really <laughs> sort of punctual way to just get out of a conversation. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, mean, I feel like the tiptoe might be a more you know, adequate thing because you can just turn into a bush and then you're yes. done. Like, no one's going to talk to you anymore. You can I'm assuming that video game logic still applies, right? So like, you'll, be, you'll be at a, uh, an awkward uh, you know, social interaction or something. You're mm-hmm. like, I got I to get out of here. You just become a bush. The person you're speaking with is like, I don't. I can't I, see you anymore. I don't know. I don't know. And they I immediately forget that you even existed. In the yeah. They're like, I guess I'll just go about my day. Or right. they start sleeping, which is what the enemies do. You know, they like, turn I, to bush. I, like, <laughs> I guess I'm done now. Yes. And, and obviously the, the zipper is going to be great for commuting. Yeah. Um, I and ass- theft. And also theft. Also very good for theft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we actually had some some issues setting up a shenanicon because the front door locks from from it just locks period, and we are, for some reason our building keys don't work on just that door. Uh, of all the the doors <laughs> in the building, we can't open the door to get into this very event. Uh, so we had some struggles with that. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if I could just teleport. That would be a good time yeah, to Or punch the door off of it. Just punch, <laughs> just punch <laughs> it right up. There are many ways. Yeah. So I guess uh, all, all of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Can't pick one. They're like your children, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, next question comes from Ben Clark. So are there any productivity tools that, you ha- that you've tried but have decided against using in the long run? Ooh. Many. Uh, yeah, we, and we talk about these a lot, uh, on the podcast throughout the years. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think how, what haven't we tried? I don't know. We've, we've honestly tried Anytime we've heard of a new tool, we used to pick them up and drop them just constantly. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we have kind of settled finally into, into a handful of tools. Um, but we've tried everything we've tried, uh, we've tried things that keep you on task for 20 minutes at a stretch. We've mm-hmm. tried. That was a Pomodoro timer. If you guys have heard of that yeah. concept. Yeah. So the Pomodoro technique is where you set a timer for 25 minutes, you work for 25 minutes and then the timer goes off and then you're supposed to take like a five minute, you know, stretch, do some jumping jacks or something. Yeah. yeah. I feel like in a lot of cases, productivity tools, it, it's one of those things that you can use it to make it feel like you're really doing stuff. Um, when really, if you had just sat down and done the dang thing, instead of like trying to figure out elaborate ways to time yourself, uh, you probably would have been just fine either way. Yeah. But I think what they're useful for is just getting you sort of back on track. Cause I honestly don't, I can't think of any uh, productivity tool I've used or software I've used and then just sort of like kept using except for something like Trello, which we use for team-based uh, collaboration. But like I have, a, there's a program called toggle, which you can use to track your time. 
Um, and that's really, really useful um, right up until you get a pretty good sense of how much time you're spending on things. And then tracking it just becomes sort of an exercise in, in redundancy. Well, you also right? have, to you have to track how much time you're using Toggle. toggling, Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, which turns out to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing with a lot of these productivity tools, right? And, and even strategies is if you get obsessed with them, I don't, I don't know if, if y'all remember back when Lifehacker was in its heyday. I don't know if that's, if that's the thing mm -hmm. you, you all were into. Um, but I used to read that website just constantly. Every time they had a new tip, a new tool, I would be doing it. I, I remember, that. So I remember that phase yeah. of your life. Yeah. I spent <laughs> so much time being productive that I didn't produce anything. Yeah. You know? That's the so curve. You're like, I'm just laying the foundation. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just getting ready. It is very risky. Yeah, yeah I, uh, so when I first met my wife, I remember she she saw me one day. I had my whiteboard going, and I had a bunch of lists, and I was reading a book about how to make lists. And she was and she was she was just always doing things. And she <laughs> she asked me one day. She was like, "Do you think maybe you're focusing too much on the system for getting this done and not just like you know doing it?" And I think the reality for me was was recognizing that at some point there definitely is a threshold where where productivity enhancement becomes a form of entertainment for you yeah uh where you're like ooh, yeah we can get like one percent more out of this next thing and the reality is setting it up getting another tool all this stuff takes so much more energy um and there's really there's kind of just a few basic rules that if you like if you have a calendar if you have the ability to manage lists of tasks in an effective way um and then some way to help you ease into work so things like pomodoro techniques anything like that that lets you get over that initial sort of uh inertia problem then I think you're basically set. Like there's not, there's, you can keep on adding stuff on that, but it, it's not going to get tons of ad on top of it. Let yeah. me ask you this. Hmm. Do you think that, that using a productivity tool or starting to use one in itself just has value because you're changing some stuff, which okay. kind of forces you to think more about the things that you're doing? I think That's so. Probably, I think the interesting thing, what it really is. Yeah. You can't use a tool without yourself being changed. Right. It's yeah. the interesting part about it. And so I think um, even when we talk about toggle, right. If you use toggle for a week or two and then drop it, I think the reality is you, you will get a better sense, at least for a short period of time, of how it is you're using your time and how it is you're you know, putting energy into things. And so if you, as long as you can carry that forward. Then Which the you will can, for a while. Yeah. I think yeah. You know, the tool can live inside of you. Forever. <laughs> Just forever. And so I, think, I do think there's, there's definitely a certain level where if you do this sort of you know, entertainment productivity thing, um, there is some level actually where if you use a bunch of these tools, then yeah, it's, they're all different lenses, right. To view the work from, um, and I remember the first, it's like DevOps, right. We talk about DevOps a lot, but the first time using that sort of a structure and that sort of a system, um, really shines a light, not just on your, your work life, but also other aspects. And so I think, I do think there's, a, there's a good, there's good reasons to explore, but I think you got to recognize when you're just exploring versus like being productive and, and don't, don't blend the two together and yeah. fool yourself. And there are two sides of it too. I think when, when we talk about productivity, we're almost always focused on how do I organize my work and how do I make myself do it, right? Those are the two pieces. Yeah. But the more important piece is how do I make doing it easier? Like the actual act of doing the work because the reason it's so easy to get distracted is because it's hard to, it's hard to do work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the better your tools are for doing the work itself, the less distracted you become, the faster you get your work done anyway. The less it even matters if you actually have trouble staying on task because you can get more done. Um, and so I think it's one of those interesting phenomena that it, it becomes easy to obsess about making yourself work rather than the doing of it. Um, so that's what I know me personally, I've been trying to, I moved away from that one stage I had back in the day of, of just obsessing about how do I efficiencies, how do I efficiently yeah. get to work, right. And organize my work. And I obsess about how do I make the work as easy as possible to do. A funny example of this is last week, 
Uh, so we bought new computer processors because Seth was experiencing this burn where every time he built Levelhead to test something, it would take about like, three and a half minutes, three and a half minutes, right? Yeah, Which is just too long. Like if you're testing a few things, you have to wait three and a half minutes every single time. If you don't, if you don't program, that might not sound like a long time, but it's uh if you just sat at your computer and you couldn't do anything and you just like stared at it for yeah. three and a half minutes um, and, it, and it's using hundred percent of the CPU. You're not using that computer. You're just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. And the best part was, so um, Adam said, they're like, this is ridiculous. We need faster processors. So we buy new processors <laughs> and they're like, cool, we're going to swap these in this morning. It's going to be super easy. Open up the computers, rip everything out, um, get the processor ripped out. And then it doesn't work with the new one. We're not quite, uh, check everything. They're running various BIOS checks and doing all sorts of things. Um, still doesn't work. And then they go and look at the motherboard specifications. It turns out that a very new processor just doesn't work with the motherboard. So f- about but five and a half hours of a day nuked, right? Mm-hmm. In the effort to save Nailed uh, it. some Nailed time. It. Yep. <laughs> so then uh, we order new parts a week later, do it again, uh, Friday, everything gets going. I think you still had some trouble getting what it. What happened was my processor was also just broken. So then I had to go buy another one uh, from uh, <laughs> yeah. Micro Center. So lost the whole day to that. So, so we lost two days trying to speed up a three-minute uh, yeah. compile time. <laughs> it works, just, It's a parable about productivity and the dangers of uh, external, <laughs> external factors. But life is much better now. Yeah, and now it takes about two minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, just really very working. good. Over very the course good. of the next year, we're going to get that day back. Oh, yeah. You know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> compile enough times, you're good. Um, all right, so next question is going to come from uh, Kyle Gibbs. All right, so I couldn't remember if somebody already asked this or not, but uh, if you had the time or the want, what would be the second Butterscotch Shenanigans podcast? Like the sequel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or an alternate uh, podcast? Like, uh, I was thinking different topic, but I mean, if you could pull off a sequel, I mean, different, that'd be fine okay. too. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I would want to go deep into the tech. You know, because we, we, we sort of designed this podcast to be one that, that uh, we, I mean, we get nerdy about stuff as is pretty obvious by the discussion, right? But, but we don't get really into it. So we don't talk about, we don't talk about the, the guts of algorithms that we're struggling with. We don't talk about the guts of Game Maker. We don't talk at, at all really about web dev. Um, it's sort it's, of a guts free podcast. It's a guts free, it's all about our guts. You know, yeah. it's not about the guts mm-hmm. of the game. Uh, so what I would want to do is actually just one where we really got into stuff. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, uh, I have been doing some streaming on Twitch where I do, uh, you know, just building a game in Game Maker. And, and that's a really good platform for doing those kinds of things because you can actually show, you know, what's happening and, and show the kinds of problems that you're dealing with. But uh, we do just get a lot of questions from people through the Discord or even uh, through the podcast thing, which are really, really technical. Yeah. yeah. About pathfinding or AI or some really weird sort of niche thing about Game Maker or web development or something. And, uh, man, that just doesn't make for good radio <laughs> at all. No, at all. Well, it, it does if everyone's on board, you know, if everyone's signed if up. That's what you're here for. Yeah. Yes, I, I listen yes. to a whole bunch of developer podcasts that, you know, a normal person wouldn't listen to, yeah. but I've, I've <laughs> opted in and I love it and it's great. Right. Uh, and, and this is a little, this is a, too much of a variety podcast for. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing about the question is that the subtext of it is sort of like, what, what are your hobbies that you have enough knowledge or interest in that you would want to share? I think the funny thing is probably that, well, yeah, most of it, <laughs> like most of us do, we do the work in the, the studio and then we either we're working on our skills or knowledge in some domain that's very related always. Um, I think if we could do a cast that had more of a design specific bent to it or uh, on the business side, 
The problem yeah. is that you literally can't, we can't talk about most of the interesting business stuff. It's all under NDA. So, yeah. well, and um, even when we can, we don't want to throw people under the bus. Yeah. You, know? so you can't be like, let me tell you about this company. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to be good. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I think a, a bit more of a design focused one, I think would be really fun. Um, Option B, hmm. we make a podcast about us trying to figure out how to have hobbies. Ooh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the new, that's the new thing. Actually, uh, that could be. I've been watching a lot of the Great British Bake Show. Maybe we could have. Now a, you got to start doing it. Yeah, have a podcast about that. We could also have an ARC podcast where we just play ARC. Just tell stories. <laughs> tell <laughs> stories. We did have some, some uh, mini-sodes of that yeah, sort of woven yeah, throughout. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that, that's something that I've kind of struggled with is this, this question of making games was my hobby before it was my career. And uh, honestly, even to this day, even though it's been almost a decade, I just don't know what to do with myself uh, when I leave work. <laughs> you know? um, and I, I've, I've tried all kinds of other things and nothing just quite sort of grabs me the same way that, uh, you know, game programming does. Like I've tried tinkering with Arduino and, and doing some other things. And I'm just like, you know, I'd just rather just go make a game. Uh, so that's a, that's a struggle. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, yeah. but it would be a good podcast. Yeah. Struggling <laughs> through that. Uh, all right. Next question comes from quantum anomaly, Brett Lindley. Do you find it difficult to come up with something like say a podcast question when you feel like you're being put on the spot or do you guys operate better under pressure? Mm. All right, real quick. What's your favorite joke? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm actually, kidding. it's really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it really depends on the thing. So like, all of us have gotten really uh, quite good at the just the sort of public speaking aspect of this from just sitting in a room with each other every every week for an hour. Um, I think it's the case that, yeah, if it's the sort of the problem of if you're a comedian or something like that and someone sort of shows up and they're like, be funny. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not really, it doesn't set the mood appropriately for you to be able to hop in. Also, it feels like a, it feels like they're determined to, to not, not enjoy it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't like that. Um, I don't like that. So I think, I think as far as uh, coming up with things on the fly, I mean, we've, we've done it in game jams now. We've done it in a lot of these contexts, but the truth is like, I still prefer to have a little bit of breathing room, not a lot, but just a little bit. Um, because I think usually it's the second or third idea that comes out. And if you're, if you have that external pressure to get something good on the first try, um, it can be a little bit more nerve wracking. And I think it hides some of the really good stuff underneath. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I kind of like to just go off the cuff yeah. because it, I mean, on the one hand, there's some stress involved, right? Because now you gotta, you gotta do something. But on the other hand, now you did it. You know, you just said something, you know, You're good. I mean, done. This, this is what's happening in this very moment is I'm just trying to answer this question. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. just saying whatever it is is coming out of my brain and it's either good or bad. I mean, you guys all get to decide. Right. Mm. Uh, but once I finished saying things, I'm just, I just did it. You're done now. You're done. I don't so have you've to worry about it. it anymore. I answered the question. There's another, I think another issue with this is it's, it's probably the case that uh, I get, I have a rate of idea generation, you know, it's probably about maybe 1.3 per minute, I'd say. <laughs> or so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so you if you find that on toggle, if, yeah. If, you, yeah, yeah. if you caught me at the wrong time, I might be on cooldown, and then I can't do, I can't do it. Yeah. So it's, it can be kind of tricky. <laughs> all right, next question comes from Adam Meisenheimer. All right. So Google announced their PlayPass system this week. Oh, yeah. They stated that developers will be paid according to an algorithm that incorporates time spent in the app with unknown factors to determine which titles, quote, bring the highest user value. How do you expect this approach to change the mobile game ecosystem? Actually, okay, I, I don't, I'm going to sort of repeat the question a little bit uh, or rephrase a little bit. So yeah, Google Play 
announced this new subscription service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want to pay developers based on some secret algorithm, but which probably really factors in how much time users are spending in the app. So what does this mean? What's it going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the important thing here is that, and especially the thing we've learned from Levelhead, is that, uh, you know, we, so we do a bit of our own algorithmic curation of levels, right? So if you've ever tried to play the tower trial in Levelhead, uh, that's done by an algorithm trying to pick some of the best stuff. And if you've played it, you know that we sometimes can't tell what the best stuff is. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we pick the worst stuff. Sometimes we pick the worst stuff or yeah. the impossible <laughs> stuff. Um, and the reality is that we're using similar metrics as something like playtime uh, to measure things like engagement in an algorithm like that. Uh, the major problem with this sort of approach is that it suggests that you're going to be able to get at quality, sort of quality with a capital Q, uh, by looking at a series of metrics about a game. And I don't know about you guys, but I think it's generally the case that feel um, and sort of the, the overall experience of a game is nearly impossible to capture from data that you get about that game. So uh, you can't necessarily, you just, you really can't read engagement with a game uh, in a super effective way. And so we end up sort of falling back on these techniques, which are like, how long are people playing it? How many times do they open it? So you want to know why you get push notifications all the time. It's because guess what? If a game gets opened a lot, uh, by a lot of users, it will get algorithmically boosted, right? We know this is sort of like a lot of the ways these stores work because it's a measure of engagement. Whether or not that's actually you enjoying yourself or enjoying the game or whatever else is kind of moot. In fact, it's irrelevant. Uh, if a game like Crashlands never asks you to open it ever, uh, what does that mean? Are we sort of at a you know disadvantage now in terms of the algorithms? So I think there's a Frankly, there's a ton of problems with trying to do uh, this algorithmic curation. We've actually seen these across all the storefronts already. Um, it's neat that they're trying another method uh, for largely for premium developers to be able to make some money because, frankly, the mobile space is rough in that regard right now. But I don't know that there's going to ever be a solution that involves really good algorithmic stuff that then the algorithm determines how much we get paid. Yeah. Um, that just never seems like Well, you like can't because job. you can't tell whether somebody is playing something a lot because they're getting deep, you know, personal enjoyment out of it or because it's got addictive mechanics in it. You can't, you can't tell the difference. Or maybe it's bothering them every five minutes. Yeah. Know, or reminds them that they exist. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 the, but the end result of this though is as the end of that question suggested, uh, people will design for the algorithm. That's, mm-hmm. that's just how this works because look at YouTube, for example, huh? yes. every, every thumbnail has one of those dumb red circles with an arrow pointing at it, you know, yeah. cause then you're like, what is that? And then, you, <laughs> and you click on it because it works. It's clickbait. It's, it's clickbait. Sort of yeah. yeah. And, and, and if the, if the algorithm that actually pays you is one where you need to get your players just to be in the app as much as possible. And that's the main thing and get them spending as much as possible yeah. and so on, then that's going to dictate the kind of games that can be successful and therefore the kind of games that get made. Um, but we already, we already see this in all the stores because it is already the case that all the stores push your game up the charts, the more money it makes, the more people visit it from outside the store, the more, the more times people boot it up, the more likely they are to spend money if they have just recently played your game and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So we're already living in that world actually, where, where the people have to design their games around the ways that games make money because otherwise you can't survive. Um, But also it's just sort of a, it's a circular problem, right? The ones that are successful are the ones that design that way. So there's also the only ones that you see all the rest are in the bottom of the charts with, you know, the, with the masses, right? Um, so yeah. we already, we already live in that world. Yeah. I recall. I'm we, not sure it's even going to get worse. When we first started working on Crashlands, we, we spoke to various publishers and stuff, and there was a lot of apprehension about the fact that, uh, people only play mobile games for three minutes at a time was the, uh, quote that kept sort of coming yeah. back to us all the time. 
Um, and uh, if you open up just about any mobile game, you will find that weird. They're all designed to only be played for three minutes at a time. So it creates this really bizarre kind of self-reinforcing uh, sort of feedback loop. And of course, people design their games this way because the algorithms will look for those kinds of in- engagement uh, metrics. And so I think, but coming back to the, the end of this question of like, how will this change the mobile gaming ecosystem? Probably not at all. No, I don't think so. Because I think it's already doing all that. Yeah, stuff. I think most because the really important note here is that the interesting reality is that what this, to me what this means is it's, it's basically an admission by uh, Google Play that the algorithm that they were using to surface games does not work for premium games, which is true. It is 100% true. Well, this because, is also what Apple Arcade was. Yeah, they don't measure the same things. And so my problem with them saying, we have this other algorithm we made that will determine how much you get paid as a premium game. And I'm like, your other one didn't work. Why on earth would this one work? Because you're not getting any new data from this at all. So I, I highly doubt it. Um, and this is why you're not perspective. Like, yeah, this is why I prefer the systems that Apple Arcade and Xbox are using where they just, they just say, we're going to give you this much money. That's mm-hmm. it. You can take it or leave it. We're going to give you this much money and we're going to have your game on the platform and we're going to let our users have it, right? Yeah, you can, well, you can work with that. Yeah, you can work with that because yeah. now you know what's going to happen. You don't have yeah. to design your game around how that's going to work in that market. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's not to say that that's the only way that those things work because uh, as far as we know, there are potentially additional mechanisms at play. But the core one, at least, is that you can just get paid to play your game on that platform. Um, and I think that with all these open markets that now exist, with, with Steam and with the mobile stores, uh, were before we had these these uh, subscription services, uh, there's just no incentive for the platform holders to pay you, mm-hmm. right? Because they get infinite free content. They just get to have all the games and then they just get 30% of whatever people actually spend on those things, right? So so there's no incentive really for them to do it. And we're just, we're just lucky that there are still a few holdouts that do because um, those are the only places left, I think, where you can really design your game the way that you want it to be and the way that you want to engage players so that you can have exact engagement. If, if you want to make a game that just freaks people out, like it's a super spooky horror game, right? Mm-hmm. And makes most people not want to play it ever again, right? Yeah, maybe they want you to play still, it once. They want to play it once, yeah, yeah right? Because that kind of a game can't live on the on most of the stores in their current format, but it can live inside of these very specific kinds of places where you can get paid up front for your or game. Or a game where you're a goose and you steal someone's hat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not a lot of depth in that, but yep. it is yeah. fun for a while. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as soon as you're, as soon as you're optimizing for algorithms, like those games just don't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Brock Sears. What old person things do y'all do? Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, the best one is groaning whenever you get into or out of a chair. Yeah, I love right. that yeah. one. Uh, anytime I'm bending over to pick something up, it's like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I have to do that, but it just feels it right. It's good. You ever see like yeah. a pro tennis player, you know, when they whack a ball and they're just like, yeah, right? I think it's the same kind of thing yeah. really just really, really drives it home yeah you're really you're a pro at getting out of your chair yeah, yeah. Right. Just gotta, uh, been doing it for years so. <laughs> one of my specialties is going upstairs to get something and then just ending up in a room and being like what am i doing here? <laughs> <laughs> why have i come all this way and then and then there's just a lot of this staring and then it'll sort of come you know um, you're lucky it still comes to you. Yeah, it takes. Yeah, a while that's now. a young, that's yeah. a young person's game that you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Hitting thirty <laughs> this year, <laughs> remembering things. No, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. Mine is. Uh, I just like to go home. You know, <laughs> like, it's really nice. It's really yeah. nice just to be at home and then go to bed early. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. Just great. I don't think I, I don't think I've hit that uh, that level of sort of 
of social involvement that old that older people have, where they just sort of don't care about pretty much anything that's oh, going yeah, on. I wish I was them. that old. I, really. Like that's that's the I think the ideal point to hit. Yeah, um, it's probably not very useful for a lot of things, uh, <laughs> but it will get you out of a lot of things, which is which is really good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, next question comes from Brett Ward. <laughs> um, so my question, I think, kind of comes from being somebody who just does game dev as a hobby, and I'm not sure how this applies uh, mm-hmm. to you guys or how you come at it. But basically, um, what is the importance of a studio staying on brand, especially for guys like you who have when on a an established brand. When you think of butterscotch, you think of a certain type of game Mm. and art style and all that. And if you wanted to make like a walking simulator or something, Mm. how would you transition? Do you just have to burn, burn the ship and start over or what do you? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, cause one of the games, so I think there's, there's a lot of power in being able to make games from every genre. The only genre we haven't really touched yet is horror which I would love to make a horror game. I think it'd be the Our greatest. aesthetic. It doesn't, yeah, the aesthetic doesn't quite work. Yeah. Uh, 2D is harder for horror games. Um, there are some good ones. But um, I think when it comes to, like, if we wanted to really jump, the experience we've had actually so far with Levelhead, so as far as, like, Crashlands being the game that most people know our studio by, uh, you know, Levelhead is a very different and a much harder game in a lot of ways uh, as far as just picking up and play. It's not chill out. It's not like a chilled game where you just kind of chill out and have fun. Um, you will be murdered thousands of times per hour that you play. Right. And so there's even a hard jump in just that. And, you know, I, we did have some conversations early on where, when I was working on the art, cause the art's still bright and it's still cartoony and fun. And I was like, is this, there's always this question of like, does your aesthetic match the game feel? So if the game's hard, but your aesthetic is super cute, that can either work well because it's like, oh, what a contrast, or it could not, right? Depending on the game, you'd be like, this doesn't feel correct. Yeah, I mean, compare that to Super Meat Boy, right? Which is cute, but yeah. you are just a skinless person. <laughs> you're shooting, yeah, you know? and you're shooting blood as you run all over. Yeah, it's yeah. very clear that this is a hard game, and it's meant yeah. to be hard. And so <laughs> we had a lot of questions about, like, are is there a bad matchup here uh, with what we're doing? Um, and I think the reality is, as far as the art style goes, is like we just kind of make, in my case, like I just make the stuff that I think is fun to look at. And that's kind of the extent of it. And so if we ever did horror, I think we would have to figure out, we would honestly probably have to do it with the art style that we have. But that just becomes a very interesting, weird challenge at that point and something that I think you can surprise and, and delight people with. So I think that where, where it gets really interesting is where you start meshing these things that maybe shouldn't necessarily get meshed together. And then, yeah, you just kind of burn the boats. Like, that's the reality. You know, we're almost two years into level head development. Um, you know, the game's going to cost a ton of money to make by the time it's done. And so you, you are burning the boats. Every time you spend like a year or two, it's kind of like, okay, is this going to go or not? Because we're putting everything into it, so let's roll. Um, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, but I do think it is the case that we can't really capitalize that well on Crashlands for Levelhead. Correct. We can in the sense that our, stu- our studio is at least somewhat established. And the, and the most important thing is that we have connections to all the platforms so that we have people to talk to when we want to go launch on a store. But when it comes to the actual game itself, it's actually – it's very hard to sell Crashlands players Levelhead. It is very hard. And uh, and you'll see if you go look at any of our YouTube videos for things that go mm-hmm. up on anything about Levelhead, the first comments are always Crashlands 2, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, Cause that's actually <laughs> what people want out of our studio. So I, I, I do think it's actually incredibly difficult to, to depart from your, not, not just depart from your branding. Cause we kept, we stayed pretty on brand, 
Um, but even to depart from your genre. And there was a there was a game, I can't remember what it was now, but there was an indie title that did really, really well as, I don't know, five years ago or something. Uh, had a huge following, kind of one of those cult successes, you know. They launched a new game that was just nothing at all. Like everything about it was different, different genre, different arts. Everything was about it was different. It might as well have been a different studio that made it. And they were just shocked that nobody bought the game. Like it, it failed miserably. Uh, and, and it was coming from a really well-established studio with this you know, huge success in their hands. And it was because they didn't understand the, that the difficulty of rolling success forward, which is what we talk about a lot uh, in the podcast and, and kind of what we've been trying to do as a studio this whole time. And we did honestly shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit. With oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, because because <laughs> it wasn't Crashlands 2. Like it, it, making Crashlands 2 is the only way we really could have done that, um, which is also part of why we're very excited to have that be, you know, potentially a future thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with all that in, in the sense that uh, just the aesthetic or just the vibes isn't always enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and sequels, of course, always do incredibly well. But but I, I think our our general uh, style of humor and, and all that other stuff, like we could we could adapt that into 3D. We could adapt that into a walking simulator. I, d- I still don't know about horror, uh, but uh, we could do an RTS. It. You know, we could do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But the the meat of a game is what you do. You know, what, you, what is the player actually doing in the game? And the, yeah, the difference between Crashlands and Levelhead is pretty dramatic in terms of how intense it is for people and the level of skill required to do it. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a hard sell, frankly. It's but, always really interesting when you look at uh, studios like Supergiant, I think who does an incredible job of this, where, I mean, their games are all very different. I mean, Pyre was like a basketball, magical basketball, right? Just kind of a weird thing. Um, but if you, if you think about their, like they all feel very similar, at least to me. Um, you know, top-down view, you're controlling usually a character, sometimes three, uh, running around. So they all have a similar level of, of what's going on in terms of story, polish, whatever else. Um, so they're not, they're departing in terms of genre, but the overall sort of overarching feel, I think, is tends to be pretty fluid throughout all their games. Uh, and I think if you can manage to do that, then absolutely, like, do it, because the truth is it will help you roll forward. I think we were also surprised by the extent to which it did not roll forward for yeah. level head. Right? Um, which Yet. is something we learned. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yet. All right. Uh, next question comes from Alex Tosh. All right. Uh, question is, what is the thing you found most surprising and or unexpected in any stage of development, either positive or negative? Mm. Of level head? Just anything. Sure. I'm still, I'm still surprised every time I finally sit down and do a thing that I should have done a long time ago, you know, and discover that it was an easy thing to do and I should Mm -hmm. have done it a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, Somehow still, I don't know, like just literally four weeks ago, I finally attached a debugger to my, to, to Rumpus, which is the thing that runs all of our games on the, the website. Uh, and I, and there was some, there were some technical things about my setup that I was that back in the day, I was just like, Oh, this will be too hard to figure out. I'll just continue doing it the stupid way. And I did that for two <laughs> years, for two years. And then, and then four <laughs> weeks ago, I thought, you know, I should really just try to hook this up. And it took five minutes, <laughs> it took five minutes to do it. And now my life has become dramatically better. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, no matter what, and these kinds of things happen to me every six months. There's just something that I knew, I knew I should have been doing. The, yeah, and the more surprising thing about that is how it never sticks. Yes, I never learned lesson. lesson. Never sticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's always surprising how easy something is, and then it's surprising how you forgot that you should have just yep. done it to begin. Yeah, with. I think for me, it's uh, it's continuously surprising how you have to sort of uh, you have to like refresh yourself every time you come to the work, like. Things have gotten easier in certain ways, but it is still not easy, if that makes sense. And it doesn't appear to be getting 
it will never get easy. Um, there's there's uh, sort of a simplicity in terms of how you sit down and engage with the work once you really know what you're doing. But I think uh, the, the surprise for me has been the extent to which you just have to bring your game, your, your personal game, every day when you come <laughs> into the studio and be like, today I'm going to work really hard. Like it has to be like, at least for me, it has to be a thing that I'm like, I'm going to do this today. And if I don't, then I don't necessarily get a lot done. Like you, you have to really focus and bring yourself to it. And I don't know why, but I, in my vision of like, you know, pro people, I had always thought that when they showed up for work, when they showed up to get something done, uh, that it was just going to come out of them. Sort of like a fountain, just like blah, just sort of vomiting out of them. And the reality is that all these people were just really good at, at forcing themselves to do it, you know? Um, but there's still, all that force is still there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but I think I'm not alone in this. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Um, okay. I need to figure out how to explain this. When, when I first decided that I wanted to make games, I had this really weird uh, vision in my head about sort of what it was going to be like to be, you know, working in a game studio and doing all this stuff. And for some reason I had uh, this, this thought that there would be a point where I've done it. You know, like there's a, there'll be a moment where I look at it and be like, I did it. I'm done now. Like I, I finished <laughs> being a game developer. Um, and I, and I think this is probably as in like, now you are one. Is that what you mean? Or, 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 like- or just like I have achieved my goal, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, somehow not thinking about that. It's just an ongoing process that you just keep doing all of the time. And and I think probably you would get the same kind of a, a feeling if maybe you wanted to, you know, become an author, right? And, you, and you're always thinking about like that first book that you're going to publish or whatever it is. And then you finally go and you do it. And then you're not done now, you know, like there's now you're just, you're just getting started. And even if you, even if you do incredibly well and your book does really well, that's just the start of a whole new set of problems that you have to deal with and learn about. And it's just, there's just a never, there's never an end to the things that you have to learn and the things that you have to do. So there's just never a moment where you can look back or just like, and just be like, I'm done now. I've completed being an author or yeah, whatever. It kind of feels like that staircase in Super Mario 64 where you yeah. just keep on running. Yeah, exactly. And you just never get up to the top. And then you turn around and you're like, what? You look back Still and you here. haven't moved at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, it, it is sort of a... Um, the, the further you go, the further it is very clear that you need to go, if that makes sense. And so you never, every time you're like, the, the goal you set for yourself back then, you hit it and you already have, you know, another three years of projects to do. And yeah. so it's just sort of one of those. It just never, it just keeps going. Which I uh, guess is good because otherwise we'd be bored ever. Yeah. Probably, to be <laughs> you honest. have to keep finding new things to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't think that's a, that's an active decision that anybody makes of, of sort of like the way that you would think about what it would be like to achieve something that you want to do. Um, it's just sort of like an implicit thought. And I think probably this comes from movies and, mm-hmm. you know, like whenever you see a portrayal, stories always have like an ending point where like they did it, you know, they went to the moon or whatever it was. Uh, but then they, ne- then it ends and that's where it's done. Um, so I don't know why that was surprising because it really should have been obvious uh, in retrospect, but like, you know, it there, was. There you are. Uh, all right. Uh, next question. And I think uh, last question. Finale. It comes from Alex Garcia. I like this. I like this. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, you guys hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The president decides that gaming is a plague on society and makes mm. a law that all PC gaming is banned forever. And you can now only own one gaming device, a mobile phone, a switch, a PlayStation or an Xbox. Which one would you choose and why? 
I like I like the framing because it feels like it fits perfectly with what would happen. You know? <laughs> but I, I'm I, just going to ban the PC. And it's going to uh, take care of everything. Um, yeah, I think for me personally, uh, the actually the platform that got me weirdly enough back into playing games for a long chunk of time uh, was the Switch, which I got last year. I played Hollow Knight. Uh, it was the first one I played on it. It actually beat the game, which Hollow Knight is a giant game, by the way. So it was a lot of, you know, and a big part of it was the mobility of it. So I think it would be switched for me. With that yeah, well, I also, I, I would agree. I, I think that still really good games are coming to Switch and like really yep. interesting ones that, that don't feel, it, it feels less about big budget, yep. you know, and more about just what kind of a really good, delightful experience can we make for people, um, which I, I just kind of like that about the vibe of the Switch. Yeah, but I think there's something that we're, all really missing here, which is the money-making opportunities for selling black market gaming PCs. (laughs) Because as we all know, whenever you ban something, you create a market. It gets really expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, And there's a lot of opportunities. As we know, we're really good at building PCs. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it takes us less than a week (laughs) to install a single processor. You're saying you're you're smelling an opportunity for like a game. I don't even care about gaming anymore. I'm in it for the money. Yeah. So really you're saying we should make games exclusively for PC. Yes. Yes. And then try to corner that. But don't tell anyone. We make make the games. We build the PCs. I figure if we really work on our processes, we could probably get two or three PCs built in a a year. Yep. Uh, (laughs) And then we sell those out on the black market. Yeah. Boom. We got the market cornered. Love it. Yeah. Uh, And of course, we probably do this from offshore because the internet exists and you can just, Mm -hmm. you know, ship stuff. Yeah. We're going to just do it from Canada. Yeah. I I also like the the question of like, of, of lumping in a mobile phones as a gaming device, because now I have to choose, like, do I get to just make phone calls uh, or play Hollow I would Hollow still Knight? take the Switch. Yeah, I'd probably still take the Switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, I think it's a net win just across Anytime, the Anytime, yeah, I get those phone calls and it says, scam likely. You guys get those? That's like three quarters of my calls. That is days. my favorite person name. Scam, yeah. scam, scam like, likely? Now... <laughs> Don't name your child Scam Likely because uh, it'll be confusing for you. Yeah, hell of a time. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Uh, thank you guys very much for coming to Shenanicon. We really appreciate. Uh, we appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Yeah, it's uh, very you, humbling to have you all come here to listen to us just say nonsense. Just saying some stuff. <laughs> um, we, of course, would also like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster. And Jen is also in the room. She's been she's been holding down the front. Oh, she's in the she's not she's the one person not in the room. <laughs> uh, we'd also like to thank our community moderators who keep our Discord running. And I think we got some moderators here. Raise your hands, guys. Yeah. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and of course, uh, as always, just go to podcast.bscotch.net to ask questions and do some other stuff. Thank you That's all for listening. Thing, What's that? <laughs> That's the main thing. Though, That's really. the main thing. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for coming. And we'll see you next Shmanicon. Goodbye. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.